on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Josh, I think you owe me an apology. And Chris Nee has actually decided to opt out of the podcast because he doesn't want to acknowledge what he knows is coming. Jay Traff. Oh, God. Here we go. Jay Traff. Jay Traff. Jay Traff. Jay Traff. I don't owe Jay you Traff. an apology. It's just a, it's a lazy a nickname. Like anything that – it's just lazy. It's a lazy nickname. But if you want to die on that hill, be my guest. Trying to take this away from me. You can't take away J-Trav. I'm not here to take it away. I'm just here to tell you it's pretty lame. You, you know what? You go ahead and tell that to Ron Dugans. You go ahead and tell that to Tamori and Terry that it's lame. <laughs> it's an underperforming nickname. We can do better. But anyway, let's get on with the show. Welcome to On the Bench, everyone. I'm Brendan Sedow. That's Josh Newberg. We are here to do a little UNC preview as FSU is slated to take on the number five Tar Heels, 7.30 p.m. on Saturday. FSU is currently, at the time of recording this on Thursday morning, a 13.5 point underdog. Line opened up at 10, went to eight at one point, now 13 and a half. So it's a pretty crazy line. It's like the Mark stock, Josh, of uh, of, of betting lines. I sure hope not. Not this month. Well, and this is also a uh, COVID free betting line because FSU has not, as, as we take this, tested positive, unlike pretty much every other school in the country right now it seems like it's going crazy nick saban nick saban's got it it last night 19 gators might have it they're gonna probably shut that game down i I thought they did wasn't florida and lsu shut down yeah it's been postponed officially postponed officially um uh, some good news on the covid front uh sounds like bobby bowden is doing well so that's good Mm -hmm. for the for coach to to be rebounding after that i know that was a little scary there for for a while. So yeah, that's really good. We'll stick with some positive stuff. Let's, Josh, real quick before we get into the UNC matchup, and maybe I'll stall long enough for Chris to join us because he's the he's the machine who can... No, I like this. We're very aerodynamic today. It's just we, the two we, of us. We're just versatile and free-flowing, and it'll probably be a terrible product because of it. But, you know, well, we'll figure it out. Big news yesterday was Tamori and Terry, who's coming off of an incredible game against Notre Dame, easily like the most complete game he's ever had as a wide receiver, right? Like not just being a deep threat, but... Yeah, no doubt. Catches, blocking. Also catch. very efficient. Nine nine targets, nine catches. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. So, uh, yeah, he has a breakout game, and that's two good games in a row, starting to turn things around, being kind of propped up as this guy who's who's buying in, this culture poster child kind of. And uh, now Tamora and Terry, as we speak, is is set to have a uh, surgery on his on his knee. Yeah. And that's a tough that's, game. Um, very unfortunate and – it just goes with the theme when you asked me last week on this Thursday show where my confidence was in the team. And you had said something about, you know, the team seems to take one step forward, two steps back. And <laughs> that rings true right now. We see the best performance from Tamari and Terry last week. And now, I mean, I don't want to say it, but this is just my opinion, but I don't, I don't, I mean, I'd be surprised if he suits back up and guarded in gold for, for this season. You, you don't, well, 
Okay, so what we do know, and we reported this at Knowles 24-7, we are the first to have it, pat on the back. It sounds like it's just a cleanup procedure, all mm-hmm. right? So he had something similar in the preseason of 2019. I think it was right around the start of fall camp, and he ended up getting in by the end of fall camp and, and has a nice uh, season-opening performance against Boise State. So it's something, if it's if they're going in there and it's just the same kind of cleanup procedure on the knee like it was a year ago, then we're talking about you know a couple of weeks. But Josh, your sentiments are shared by other people in the fan base where they think he's well. How many weeks are we? Are I mean, we're we're what four weeks into the season right now? Four out of eleven games. So yeah, he's you're probably having the surgery today or tomorrow. I can report that he is having it today on Thursday today. as we're okay. recording this. So yeah. we know he's missing this game. We got to assume he's missing the next game. So now we're six games in. Um, he's probably going to miss the seventh game. There's a bye so, week in there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it comes down to like, is do you really think Tamar and Terry's going to strap it on for for two or three more games at the end of the season? He might. I'm not saying he won't. Um, but th- realistically speaking, just seeing how it plays out, I I don't know. No, I get that logic. Seen. I think people people underestimate the amount of film that he still needs to put up to be a draftable prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he has some really nice games in there, obviously. But this year was a huge year. He came back for a reason. Right, it was because he wanted to get better as a player and put up better film. These two mm-hmm. had to kind of coincide together to be a draft-worthy prospect. We look at the the highlights of Tamori and Terry and all the great things he's done, and, and they're there. But the consistency has been an issue throughout his career, as far as catching the ball in traffic, being a consistent blocker, and he's done that the last two weeks. So if he is ending the season, it's on a high note, right? Right. But yeah, I think the only it, thing you risk with coming back, you risk two things. You, one, you risk injury, obviously. Yep. Uh, and then two, you risk film. Um, what if you're not able to cut and run and do things at a hundred percent? just after a month, you know, now you're risking two things. So I understand what you're saying. And I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't know if Tamari and Terry's body of work to this point is on film is good enough to, to put him in, you know, second, third round draft pick status. Um, I, I do think he needs more tape, but you know, there's just, there's no guarantee that coming back is going to deliver that tape either. True. And those are the things that he's going to have to weigh. And this again is assuming that he's, getting the surgery cleaned up and everything's fine, right? That they don't find mm-hmm. anything else once they go inside and, and start looking around. So we'll, we'll see, but let's uh, wish tomorrow and, you know, thoughts and well wishes because surgery is, it, you could say it's minor surgery when it's not on you, but anytime you're going under is, is scary. Yeah, so hopefully he does sure. well. And I'd be really happy to see him come back at the end of the season. FSU's offense obviously needs it because he's mm-hmm. the explosive threat on offense right now. Uh, speaking of offense, Josh, one other Injury note that I want to provide, Jordan Travis has practiced both Tuesday and Wednesday. We do not have the full details. Let me ask you this. When you heard Mike Norvell say he's practiced Tuesday and he's practiced Wednesday, but that's all that Mike Norvell was willing to elaborate. Do you, do you assume that he's full full go at that point? It, I, I think so. Uh, the way that he said he practiced on Tuesday when Mike Norvell came out and said, Jordan Travis practiced today. I don't know. I Yeah, I take it as that. And then, well, Jordan Travis tipped his hand, no pun intended. <laughs> he came out and said that he's 100%. <laughs> now, I don't necessarily believe that because I've seen the way that Jordan Travis plays and I couldn't imagine he feels 100%. But I have no, um, like, I have no concerns that at least heading into the game, Jordan Travis's injury is going to really hinder him. Now, maybe he so, re-injures it or gets, you know, something else goes down, but. 
at, at this point, no, I, I feel confident that uh, Travis is healthy enough to make the start. So I'm going to write a Sinone zone column on the offense being built around Jordan Travis. You think that's safe to go ahead and publish for Friday then? Yeah, that's what you're, I, that's what you're I hope saying? so. I mean, look, I hope so, because what's our other option? You saying it's going to be James Blackman? What are you trying to, I mean, what are you trying to I'm say? Not, I'm not trying to say anything other than his, his throwing hand was injured at the end of the Notre Dame game. And that's not like a, it's not like you just put ice on a hand. Like if you have like a sprain or like a, like a mini fracture mm-hmm. or something in there, like then, but that takes a little while. To well, I'm going to take his word for it. Jordan Travis, hundred okay. percent. All right. Jordan Travis reporting here in Olds 24, 700%. He'll start. So no one's going to stop stirring the pot. Uh, <laughs> the only other injury update that I want to provide right now is Travis J is practicing a little bit. Uh, we don't know for sure if he's going to be able to play or not, but that secondary would, would, Really, really like to have even a semi-healthy Travis J on the back end to help with the depth. Do we uh, see hams at this week? I, I know that people want to know that too. I don't think so. I don't think so either. It doesn't I just sound want to like see it. what Norvell gave us the day-to-day, week-to-week. Yeah, we said this before on the podcast. Initially, when we got intel on his injury, I didn't put this out there. I probably should have when it happened, but we had heard like it could be a full season ending, like the injury, the extent of it, and it could be costing the entire season. Then all of a sudden we started hearing optimistic things a couple of weeks into the, the year. And now it seems like it's been less optimistic. The tone is that mm-hmm. accurate, Josh? I feel like the tone's been been less optimistic the last. I was going to say weeks. that, and, and I don't want to I don't want to say this so people start thinking that there's been a setback or something. But the tone of right before the season started of Hamza, it, it definitely sounded like he was going to miss that first game. But like the way that Adam Fuller and Norvell were talking, it seemed like okay, game two or game three, like yeah, we'll see Hamza back, probably for Miami. And now they've they've kind of ratcheted it even back a little bit further, mm-hmm. where they used to say, kind of like Hams is itching, ready to go. We just want to make sure he's at a hundred percent. They've kind of backed off of those those words a little bit, and they just are saying that he's going through the process and more of the of the vanilla update when it comes to Hamza right now. I've taken right? the approach of yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I've taken the approach of Hamza. It's like, if we see him this season, great. That's icing mm-hmm. on top. And and hopefully he's, he helps his draft stock out if he is able to play. Uh, if not, like it yeah. would just be a pleasant surprise to, to see him at this point in my mind is how I've, how I've interpreted that. I feel the same. Before we get to the UNC preview and I've tried to stall no Chris. Needs. Oh wait, we is got that... one more injury update. Oh, who do we that have? The people are waiting on Chubba Purdy. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Mike Norvell did mention him, right? He said he was progressing well. They seemed optimistic about about Chuba. He's had you don't want to tell the people this. He's oh, had extended. You didn't think the people I've, wanted to hear about Chuba Purdy? I feel like I've been giving like the same update on Chuba Purdy for the last month now. I don't think they care, Brendan. <laughs> His mom's on an airplane. Okay. I think it's Parents Weekend. I think it it's parents, parents Weekend. It is Parents Weekend. Uh, this is the timeline when Chuba Purdy was supposed to be be back and able to go. I will say the significance of the update that we do have that that Mike Norvell provided was that Chuba Purdy is practicing a more extended uh, is more extended in what he's doing in practice, which means he keeps progressing, moving in the it right the direction. Chubba Purdy hype at an all time high right now. I feel like it was a little higher before, before we felt good about Jay Trav. Okay. Right. Like I think that, was I don't know. I feel like it's peaking. I feel like it's peaking. So for those that don't know, there was a, um, there's a photo on Twitter that the Purdy family put out. It was mom, dad, and his sister mm-hmm. on an airplane and they're going, you know, they're flying to Tallahassee. So it's parents weekend, you know, 
Zach, who works for Knowles 24-7, his parents are coming up this weekend. Um, and I guess people are p- trying to connect the dots that maybe what Purdy's getting a surprise start or are they thinking that maybe we just see Purdy? What do you I think? Th- that- I think they interpret it and I'm not going to lie. How do you I think thought, they interpret it? I thought the same thing is, oh, they're coming out here. They must be coming out here for a reason. But I talked to someone who's close to the family. They said like they go to, like they were at Brock Purdy's game a week ago, I believe. Like they go to any game they can to see their kids. But um, if he, but I think like we're to the window where he's probably healthy. And I think if he's healthy, he's going to, I think he gets some snaps this week if he's healthy. Ooh. All right. Well, I don't know that for a fact. I don't want to put that out there. No, no, but no, no. I'm just putting, okay. No, it's my opinion. And I'm just yeah, connecting the dots. If he was, if he was throwing three weeks ago mm-hmm. and he was back in pads, but no contact two weeks ago. And then one week ago, he was back getting acclimated. I mean, I think we're in the window where if it's appropriate and they can get him some reps, I think they will. But that's the jump that you're making that I'm not prepared to is like, if he's good to go, you think that they'll they'll see him regardless? Like they'll integrate him in somehow or another just to see how he does, whether it's like a series or some package. Like, I think there's a chance that maybe the game's away from FSU towards the end and maybe the offense, you know, it's just an appropriate time to maybe get him a series or two. I'm trying to corner you into saying we're going to see Chuppa Purdy. Please. Yeah, I'm not going there. Yet. Okay, I'm trying to. I'm pretty sure it's. So I heard it's Parents Weekend from one person. I looked at I Googled and someone said it was in September, then moved to October. That I looked at another Google that said it was last week, but it doesn't make sense because FSU wasn't at home. So I don't know. The FSU calendar for Parents Weekend is all screwed up because of the COVID. Uh, but I was told this weekend, Parents Weekend. So that would be why they're coming down. All right. Who knows? Who knows? The world's upside down right now, Joshua. So before we go into the UNC, and Chris Nee abandoned us. I still, I, I don't know how to rationalize that. I'm very upset. I'm very upset. But you know what I'm going to do to help cope? I'm mm. going to go down to Market Square Liquors, Josh. That's a great idea. I'm going to do that. It's a Thursday. That's probably where Chris is at. Maybe. Hopefully not at 9 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I don't think they're open. <laughs> Actually, the, the liquor store may be open already. He's waiting outside. But Market Square Liquors is located off of Timberlane Road in North Tallahassee. Chris Nee is beating down the door to get in right now and get some nice craft beer. Uh, they have a fantastic selection at Market Square Liquors of beer, of wine, of liquor. And then I also want to direct people right next door in the Market Square Plaza is the lounge. Very sophisticated, very classy. And I say that in all seriousness, it is a really, really nice place to go and and grab a beverage. They do live music now every Friday from six to nine o'clock. Acoustic guitar. It's nothing crazy loud. Nice ambiance. It's it's pretty sweet. And then uh, it's a really good place for uh, for a date night too. If you want to take the misses out, I've brought my wife there before many times, and and she is not a huge shrinker, Josh, but she likes going there because they do a really nice job making mixed drinks that are um, adventurous. Like they'll they'll ask you like what kind of flavors you like, what kind of foods you eat, what kind of drinks you normally have. And they'll like try to tailor something to your taste preferences. That's unique that you probably won't get anywhere else. It's not like you're looking at a menu saying, I want this, this, and this. No, like they'll, their bartenders are very creative. So uh, Market Square Liquors and The Lounge recommend both highly if, if you're into that. So check them out. Let them know we sent you. UNC preview. Ready, Josh? Yeah. This weekend, Florida State hosts number five, North Carolina, on Saturday evening at 7.30 p.m. from Dote Campbell Stadium in Tallahassee. Um, the Seminoles enter the game, unfortunately, with a 1-3 and record, including an 0-3 mark against ACC uh, conference foes. 
The Tar Heels, however, come in undefeated at 3-0 with all three victories coming in conference. North Carolina had a game against Charlotte canceled earlier this season, so that's why they're down a game if you're wondering. Um, North Carolina is 3-0 for the first time since 2011. They also began 2009 with 3-0 record, later vacating those games. North Carolina head coach Mac Brown is 254 wins 128 losses. I was about to say years old when you wrote 250. Was that <laughs> all time as a head coach? Um, he's currently the active career wins leader in college football. He is in his second run as the head coach for the Tar Heels. Um, he this is his second season in his second stint as well. He was the head coach there from '88 to '97. I didn't know he started there in 88. I thought it was just a couple of years. In the 90s, he was there but, for um, a really long time. Like, yeah, he was there for, for a while. Tim Brewster was on his staff for a good chunk too. A little tie there, Josh. How surprised yeah. are you that Mac Brown has been able to resuscitate North Carolina as quickly as he has? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised. Um, but he put it together a, a very good coaching staff. Um, they were able to get momentum in that transition class. And, they did one of the most important things you can do as a head coach that comes in and takes over a program. He went out and landed a franchise quarterback in his first recruiting cycle. Oh, that hurts. That hurts. That I mean, hurts. I'm being serious. This is a quarterback driven league um, more now than ever. And even if you go back and look at Florida state teams, I mean, look at the, the good Florida state teams had a, had a very good quarterback, right? And as yeah, yes. the quarterback goes, so does the wins. If you look at the level of talent at quarterback Forest State had has had over the last 20 years, it probably directly correlates to the amount of wins that they had. Uh, some some quarterbacks probably overachieved. Well, especially like now, Christian like Ponder. And now, especially like nationally, the quarterback play is so sophisticated and the schemes that are built around quarterbacks are so friendly for QBs and, and make for such efficient play especially in the college football rules where offensive linemen can go fairly far downfield for the RPO sub, which North Carolina, by the way, will take full advantage of. Uh, their RPO game is, is pretty awesome. If you don't have a good quarterback, it's so tough to win because offenses are, are – you have to keep pace, and it's just so difficult to do. So getting Jordan – getting J-Trav like to be functional is huge because FSU without consistent quarterback play, no matter how you do it, uh, they weren't going to win any games this year with James Blackman being as inefficient and ineffective as he – as he was. I got two stats. I want to. All right. Drop you drop quick stat about bombs. North Good. Carolina's offense and how, you know, we don't, this is a new identity that they have and they like to get vertical. Um, North Carolina ranks second in the ACC only to Clemson with 90 plays of 20 or more yards and 41 plays of 30 or more yards running back Javante Williams, 33 rushes for 10 or more yards was 29th in the country. Quarterback Sam Howell leads the ACC with passes of 10-plus yards, 30-plus yards, and 40-plus yards. In 2020, <laughs> North Carolina has 23 rushing plays of 10 or more yards, 19 passing plays of 15 or more, and two 25-plus yard returns on special teams. So they are an explosive, quick-striking offense. And then when you flip it over to the defense – uh, even though they were in a shootout against Virginia Tech last weekend, UNC ranks fourth in total defense. And it's no coincidence at all. It sits fourth in both pass defense and rush defense. Um, North Carolina is also fourth in the league with 3.7 sacks per game. 
and fourth in opponents scoring touchdowns only 45% of the time inside the red zone. <laughs> few things I want to wade through here, but clearly the, the raw numbers are really impressive, and North Carolina is 3-0. and I do think we need to put in the caveat, Josh, that North Carolina has faced Syracuse, Boston College, and Virginia Tech. So they've benefited from a nice, fairly soft schedule to start the year. Mm-hmm. I'm not but sure. They've done, but, but they've done what, what you're supposed to do when you play mediocre. Fair, very, very fair point. Very fair point. Uh, they cruise over Syracuse. The Boston College game was pretty tight. Virginia Tech, they got up 21 nothing on, and Virginia Tech comes back, but it's a 56 to 45 win for North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's look at the offense real quick. You mentioned some of the playmakers they have, and Sam Howe specifically. Yeah, he is a sophomore right now, Josh. You refer to him as a franchise quarterback. That's that's exactly what he is. He gives you an identity. He gives you something to build on. I mean, as a freshman, he was very impressive. Let's see, he had sixty-one mm-hmm. percent completion percentage, three thousand six hundred forty-one passing yards, thirty-eight touchdowns, and only seven interceptions. So taking care of the football this year, his completion percentage is up to sixty-eight point seven. So he's made yeah. a jump there. Uh, The yards per attempts, nice and beefy at 9.4. Passing yards, 777, so about 250 or so per game, 275 per game. Six touchdowns, three interceptions. He has been a little bit more reckless with the football this year, which kind of happens in sophomore years. But, man, I I was watching him before the podcast. I was watching the game against Virginia Tech. He runs that RPO game so well, the decisions he makes, the way he distributes the ball. You mentioned the vertical shots, Josh. Like, they – they dink and dunk and kind of lull you to sleep and have a nice inside running attack. And then bam, like over the top, he takes a shot and he hits it. It's going to be a toughie for Florida state. Like, I don't know how I feel about those linebackers trying. I mean, that's what they do. They put the linebackers in conflict. Right. And, and I don't know how I feel about right. the linebacker group slowing down that offense. It scares me. I watched a little bit of North Carolina here and there. Like I, I honestly haven't sat down and watched a full game. This will be the first one that I watch. I've noticed that they are a little vulnerable up front on the offensive line. Um, you just hope that FSU has something on their defensive line that can kind of take advantage of that. I think that's the battle that FSU can win up front or could win. I, don't, I shouldn't say can, maybe could win um, up front to apply some pressure to Sam Howell and kind of get him out of that groove of, like you said, Dinkin Duncan while you sleep and then hit you over the top. So maybe they can take advantage of, of UNC's offensive line on offense. Maybe that would require your best players to step up. Yeah, pass rush. I mean, defensive ends still don't have a sack yet this season. It's It's been an incredible storyline through four games. I did think Mike Norvell talking about some of those guys, like he mentioned Corey Durden the other day, stepping up in practice and, and mm-hmm. starting to kind of put together. And I saw glimpses of that against Notre Dame. That wasn't consistent, but there was a few, a couple drives where Corey Durden made his presence felt Uh you need Big Marv to kind of step up there. I'm not sure what Robert Cooper's availability is going to be this week. He was relatively limited against Notre Dame with the hand injury. Uh, and I think he only played 12 snaps. So we'll see. I mean, they need they need those guys to play to play well, Josh. I'm with you. Need to hope that you get one linebacker other than Emmett Rice stepping up. I'm curious as too to see if like FSU counters with any personnel adjustments. I wrote about that a little earlier this week. Like our Murray Gaynor, do you move him, especially now going against more of a typical RPO spread offense. Do you move him either to defensive end or to inside linebacker? Do you move Jaden Lawrence would be down to Travis Jay's back? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just arranging deck chairs on the Titanic here. I just am trying to look for, for ways to fix the defense in season. And, and it's, 
doesn't have me super optimistic. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of options there. Because as soon as, like you said, as soon as you move somebody, now you have a, a gaping hole at another key position. So um, I think depth is more of an issue than where who's playing where. Um, but at the end of the day, FSU is going to just need some of these guys to start making some plays that they're trotting out there. Is that Chris Nee? He joined us while we're doing the preview. Tell us about UNC's defense quickly, Chris. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> I'm glad you can join us. I was about to send Zach over there for a welfare check. All right, two things, Chris. We're on the we're in the middle of breaking down UNC's defense. Yeah. Thank God, because Josh and I have been trying to pitter patter through this. But real quick, what are your thoughts on J Trav and the whole J Trav nickname? Because that's why you relate to this. You didn't want to acknowledge glad, it. You I'm can escape. But it's I'm happy for you. It's taken off, man. Yeah. It's special. I mean, I'm sure the kid was called it numerous times during his upbringing. But if you want to claim all of it. You're welcome. A hundred percent of it. Josh said it's a bad, lazy nickname. <laughs> I like JT Money. I don't remember who threw that out on the message board, but I was a fan of JT Money. Yeah, this is the school that produced primetime. Yeah, well, that was a different era, Josh. We'll take J-Trav. Nicknames are acceptable. You'll take J-Trav, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm just glad we don't have to do a welfare check on Chris. Chris, what happened? You just not wake up? I, I slept like a baby. You that look you look like a big sleepy baby. Up to about 9:25 a.m. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. This should be part of the weekly uh previews is Chris just shows up like at some random time and we don't know when it's just going to be be so whenever get on with feels the like it. All right, you got places to go. Josh is rushing me. Chris is lulled to sleep. Chris, what are your thoughts about UNC's defense? Yeah, they, they can bug a quarterback. They'll get in the backfield. They can create sacks and create tackles for loss, quarterback hurries. They haven't created a lot of turnovers. They have one interception. I don't think they have a single fumble recovery, if I recall correctly. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic of being one that can create pressure but isn't creating turnovers. Um, that, that was probably my biggest takeaway when I was working on the 247, looking at the defense. But it's got talent. They've got defensive ends with experience that can get it done. Their defensive tackle group is okay. I want to describe it as great. Chaz Surratt's a hell of a linebacker, one of the best in the league by far. He's a tackling machine. He's a guy that does an excellent job leading that defense. He is a former quarterback who is the quarterback of the defense. And their secondary has a lot of ta- talent. Um, the Grimes kid is a true freshman, but he's one of the best in the country. He's going to be an outstanding football player with a little bit of seasoning. He's a kid that enrolled early. He actually jumped up a class in order to get there and play this year. They've got plenty of talent. It's a good scheme. They're an attack style, but they can mix it up. They're going to throw a lot of different looks at you. I, I think they can bother you pretty well. I mean, they're weird because Virginia Tech, obviously a shootout, scored 100 points combined between the two teams. But they completely shut down a relatively mediocre Syracuse team, and they were pretty good against BC. I know those are two of the lesser teams in the league, but heck, FSU's hanging around in that realm too. So I I, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm very interested to see what they do specific to Jordan Travis. Um, I think, you know, now that there's a whole game film of Travis out there and six quarters essentially of him playing consistently every down of quarterback for FSU, I think you're going to see defenses adjust to that. And that's that's kind of the next step in this evolution of FSU's quarterback and offensive situation with the current guy under center. One other note on UNC's defense, their successful play rate is 61.2%, which is, I think, top 10 in the nation. Do you know FSU's I had it pulled up. No, I closed it. Their defensive success rate is 45%, I think. So it means less than half the time 
they're uh, they're having a successful play on defense, which is towards the bottom. Their offensive success rate is actually above average, though, which is considering where the start of the season was is pretty impressive. Uh, hashtag JTrav. Yeah, they they run like a three four type. It's kind of a hybrid. Um, they'll mix up their fronts between four three three four. Uh, if I had to pick a guy that I think is going to make it a long day for FSU, I'd probably go Toman Fox. Uh, I think he can have some success coming off the edge, coming from the outside. I think Chad Surratt's kind of the steady Eddie guy of that bunch. Mm-hmm. But Fox is a guy that can change the game very quickly. We talked about the offense already, Chris. Thank God you came in at the perfect time because I didn't know how I was going to fake it through the defensive preview. I did not do enough research entering this I, game for that. I love their offense. Isn't it I mean, fun to watch? How how yeah, we were it, talking about it being like meticulous. Um, mm-hmm. I love Michael Carter. He's a former Niceville kid. I remember him as a high school prospect, thought very highly of him. He's turned into a super productive back for him. And there's a one-two punch of him along with the other running back, Javante Williams. Um, you know, last week they absolutely shredded Virginia Tech on the ground. They can run the ball. If FSU's run defense is what we've seen last week, uh, it's going to be an extremely long day. We all know what Howell is. You know, we want him to be in guarding gold. We know why we want him to be in guarding gold. He's thrown a touchdown in every single game he's played, 16. He's thrown multiple touchdowns and a majority of them, and three touchdowns in several of them. That kind of speaks to it. This year, he's not running it a whole lot so far. His running stats aren't anything to write home about this year, but he is capable enough of doing that. And then, at, you know, the O-line is – I don't know how good their O-line is. I, I think some of it is they're really good at run blocking, and they're – some of their miscues and pass blocking are somewhat hidden by their quarterback. So I, I think it's a group that probably looks better on paper than it really is in real life, but it works with this offense with what they're doing. And we've seen what a running quarterback can do to kind of alleviate some of the pressure on an O-line, but their receiver groups. Awesome. I mean, Diami Brown, uh, Bo Corrales, Daz Newsome, about as experienced of a threesome as you're going to find in a receiving group in the country. Newsom and Brown are both explosive guys, make huge plays down the field. FSU liked both of the Brown brothers. They recruited both of them. I think Jimbo recruited one. I want to say Willie recruited the other. Um, I mean, they're good. They, they're the kind of offense that if they find an early rhythm, they're going to put up a 40 spot on the day against good teams. Um, and if you don't run, stop them, if you don't force them to become a passing team, and they can pass it too, but it, you got to try to make them a more one-dimensional type mm-hmm. so you can play to that one dimension because if they're balanced, they can get you either way. And that's a real, real tough way to put, play a football game. But yeah, I, I love their offense. I think I think they're arguably the best offense in the league, not named Clemson. The, the RPO game that they run, they run it as well as anyone that I've seen so far this year. Uh, because of the way Sam Howell has a quick trigger, the offensive line gets really good surge. They have good skill players all over. They're so so dangerous, so very dangerous. Uh, I have a little anecdote on uh, on Sam Howell recruitment when he decommitted from Florida State. I had someone on the staff at the time tell me that would be a quote unquote blessing in disguise for FSU. Hmm. Didn't really work out that way, did it? Yeah, I heard that too. Some people were kind of salty at the time. It was tough. Well, make sure I'm remembering this correctly. When Hal departed, that's when they recruited legend, legendary Lejean, Lejean, and uh, the and uh, Plum, Plumley Plum from uh, yeah, Mississippi. They, yeah. they love Plumley, and I like Plumley, and I think Plumley would be very fun to watch in the right kind of offense, like Old Miss is using them. Um, oh, Willie, Willie Taggart's probably still coaching here, if. They got Plumlee and Kendall Bryles offense last year. It's probably good for another win or two. 
Yeah, I mean, you can do things. It wouldn't be the statue issue that they had last year where they had games where they were taking, you know, seven, eight sacks. Mm-hmm. Oh, memories, guys. So fun. Josh, do we want to – we can edit this out. Do we want to share who we were going to have on the podcast? Yeah, Brendan – here's how it went down real quick. Brendan was on the phone with me on Tuesday, and I was on my little morning walk, and he's like, hey – um, for the UNC preview, should we get somebody on? Like, you know, do you think um, you think Walt Bell will come on? I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And he's like, well, you had a relationship with him. Like, I was like, I, I don't think I have his number. Like, let me check real quick. And I was like, oh, I do have it. And I, I said, I, All had, right, to, I'll text I had to convince Josh and remind him that they used to text each other. I'm like, no, yeah. you guys have a relationship. I was like, All right, I'll text him. And I was like, but you know, he's the head coach at UMass. He ain't coming on to talk about Sam Howell. So I texted him and said, Hey, can you come on my podcast and put my phone in my pocket? And like a second later, he texts, Yeah, sure, when? <laughs> so, long story short, I talked to Walt Bell on Tuesday afternoon. We spoke for a while. Um, he didn't really want to get too deep in the weeds on the Sam Howell stuff, but he didn't mind at all coming on to talk about him. And he said to just shoot him a reminder. And then, of course, just about 20 minutes before we were going to tape, he calls me up, very apologetic, over-the-top apologetic. Said he had player leave-in, he had to meet with, blah, blah, blah. Couldn't come on, but he's like, um, anything you guys need, man. He's like, I'm willing to come back, you know, and I was just said, okay. But I'm thinking, like, when, when are we going to ever have Walt Bell on the podcast again? This is so, probably the one time that we were <laughs> we would have done it. So we were going to have a Walt Bell interview here, but um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, he couldn't do it. The significance of getting Walt Bell on would have been twofold. One, he was the first coach to offer Sam Howell a scholarship, mm-hmm. so he was someone who could legitimately talk informatively about the quarterback that FSU was about to face and and the quarterback who's probably going to be the face of the ACC in a year after Trevor Lawrence goes pro, as most of us assume he will. And the other dynamic was to get his insights onto what happened after Walt left for the U, uh, the UMass head coaching job Obviously, FSU did not develop a very good relationship with Sam Howell outside of Walt Bell. Some people have theorized that Walt Bell basically told Sam Howell not to come to Florida State. We do know that Walt was not super happy as the offensive coordinator under Willie Taggart, did not feel like he had enough input and goes on to have run his own program. Uh, so we would try to clarify all that stuff. Would have been the value to having to having Walt. Uh, I'm of the belief that Walt probably didn't give glowing recommendations about FSU staff, but I don't think it was this sabotage kind of deal that some people have have assumed i, I think more so uh, you give the parent the input you let them know what you thought and then that's it i don't think it was just like hey don't go to florida state type of deal but we'll never know for sure will we well yeah um walt told me that uh him and duke howell had one conversation after he accepted the job at umass and that the only thing he told him was he's going to UMass. <laughs> they wished him well. And he said he hasn't spoken to him since then. Um, in hindsight, I mean, I understand why Florida State fans would be upset about it, especially in that moment of Sam Howell leaving. But now that we look back on it, on where the two programs stand, um, I don't think in Sam Howell's career, I don't think there's any question that Sam Howell made the best decision for himself. Um, he's he's taken that opportunity at UNC and ran with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Since then, FSU has changed head coaches. They've changed OCs. 
Um, and FSU is just really still trying to find an identity for themselves while UNC is kind of taking that transition and, and built on it. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to watch Sam Howe sling it around the way he does and, and see what he's brought to that program in terms of energy and just efficiency at that most important position on the field like we talked about you know, 20 minutes ago. Uh, yeah, it's it's been tough to watch as a Florida State fan, but what can you do? What can you do? That's the way, that's the way it goes. So let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side, we're going to go into some legitimate recruiting news that, that Josh has worked on this week and some analysis that Chris is going to have as well with that. And we'll do our predictions. So stick with us. We'll be back in a minute. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Welcome back to On the Bench. Let's finish up this podcast with some recruiting notes and nuggets, some big juicy nuggets, Josh. I always say they're juicy nuggets, but these are big juicy nuggets. The transfer portal, it's only mid-October but it's already heating up for Florida State, as uh, as expected, I guess. We figured it would happen sooner or later. Uh, it's starting now. It's starting early. Mm, yeah, I got some nice nugs here, Brandon. <laughs> um, Joshua Youngblood. Do you have anything to dip them in? Sorry, sorry. Joshua Youngblood. No, I don't dip my nugs, Brandon. Uh, Joshua Youngblood is leaving Kansas State. Um, he was an all-conference freshman a year ago, five foot 10, 190-pound wide receiver return man. Um, young bloods leaving Kansas state after one season, I reached out to his, one of his former seven on seven coaches. And he told me that FSU, um, Washington state, LSU, and a few others reached out to him. He let me know that, you know, the reach out does not equate an offer. Young blood was still waiting to hear back from the teams that are going to be serious with them. Um, I was told that I would get more information over the weekend. They were just going to kind of collect the offers or the interest and then kind of see where they're at. Uh, Youngblood wants to make a decision sooner than later. Uh, I don't think he makes it by the weekend. I think maybe another week or two. Um, but I think he has an idea that he wants to decide somewhat soon. Um, I don't know if FSU is going to be in the market for it. I did a little digging. I know that they've reached out. Um, but I don't know generally if this is what they're looking for. You got to remember, there's going to be a ton of kids, a ton of players hitting the portal, a ton. And one of the things FSU wants to do is, 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 is make a few additions from the portal, but you got to make sure they're the right additions. You can't just go all in on, on the first couple wide receiver, the first couple offensive linemen, the first couple defensive ends, there's going to be more. There's going to be more after the season. There's going to be more towards the end of the season. So I think FSU is showing some interest there. I'll find out more over the weekend. Now, one guy that they that we know that they have some legitimate interest in is Willie Allen. We've been talking about Willie Allen for about a week on Knowles 24-7. He is a offensive tackle that's leaving Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech? Yeah, a lot of tech. tech. Correct as a graduate transfer, meaning he has one year of eligibility remaining. Um, 
Willie Allen is six foot seven and a half, 305 pound offensive tackle out of New Orleans that originally signed with LSU. He left LSU to go junior college. This was before there was a transfer portal. Leaving junior college, he went to Louisiana Tech, and now he's 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 ready to bounce from there and, and play at a bigger program. Um, I spoke to Willie Allen on I spoke to Willie Allen on Tuesday. He had been in the transfer portal for about 24 hours at that point, and he told me things were heating up. He had heard from about six programs, FSU being one of them, um, Michigan being another, and he was just kind of taking his time. Uh, he didn't sound like his timeline was going to be sped up at all. It sounded like um, he knew that the interest was was incoming. And I think he's going to kind of take a few days here to see where everything stands, similar to Youngblood. Um, but I don't think Willie Allen's in a, in a big rush to decide. But uh, we do know that Mike Norvell has been active with them, Alex Atkins, and also Chris Thompson. Um, I'm not sure if Kojiak has. He might. Uh, I know he's a New Orleans, he's from New Orleans, but I know Coach Thompson was also involved in his recruitment a little bit when he was at TCU and Willie Willie Allen was at uh, junior college. So there's a couple existing relationships there. We'll see what happens. I'm going to check in with Willie Allen again today and probably post something on Knowles 24-7. I got one thing to add on Willie Allen. Let's see some metrics here. 66.1 PFF grade in 2019, including a 72.1 grade as a pass blocker. That's as a left tackle. So above average metrics, not anything crazy, but I've been told, dug around a little bit on Willie Allen as well. And I've been told that he's still, even though he's a a graduate transfer, still pretty raw in his development and someone who has still upside room to grow physically uh, to get better technically. So that's someone that the appeal is what you've seen with Alex Atkins and what he's done with, with the offensive line in just a few games. Give him someone like Willie Allen, who's this massive specimen with with good pass blocking metrics. Like, yeah, big guy who can who can protect the blind side would be something that would be of interest to Florida State. Chris, I want to get your thoughts on just the transfer portal in general. Josh kind of touched on it. How active do you think Florida State is going to be in the portal this year? Well, I mean, you look at current high school recruiting for them and the amount of dwindling targets they have <clears throat> with remaining needs that they still have. Uh, I think we're going to see them be extremely active, at least on par with last year when they added, what, eight, I believe it was. Are you dying, Chris? I think no, we need an analysis. Okay. I'm good. All right. Um, and I suspect that they're going to be very, very active. I think you see them certainly look at offensive linemen, specifically tackle. I think a speed rush and defensive end type, maybe a couple of those, maybe a D tackle, a linebacker. I think those are certainly needs you try to address in that regard. And then the others are guys that you think help your roster, certainly raise the floor, if not make you better at positions. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to be very, very active. I think I expressed on the podcast earlier this week that I believe it's trending that direction, that they're certainly keeping some space in this class. And that's what the uncertainty of scholarship limits for going forward also in play. But I think they're certainly keeping spots in this class to try to go play that market and try to get some quick band-aids and some guys that can help them long-term. And I think year one lesson from them with the portal is that overall it's fairly effective. You know, I'd, I'd describe Corbin, Love Taylor, Dodson, Love It, Jones, all as wins for them in portal. Jarrett Jackson's done nothing to date. Um, 
Deontay Williams is a serviceable depth piece. Jordan Wilson got hurt. Okay, guys, you ready for uh, for predictions? Let's do it. Gonna wrap it up. Florida State, UNC, seven thirty p.m. ABC. Seminoles are thirteen point five point underdogs. Here's mine. UNC forty two, Florida State thirty five. Heartbreaker mm-hmm. in Tallahassee. Josh, um, I got UNC thirty four, FSU twenty eight. All right, another close one. 38-24. 38-24. You guys think they're going to keep UNC below 40, huh? I think they're going to maybe try to slow it down a little bit. Okay. No. Also, if UNC is going to run and FSU makes them at least work for running it, you know, not allowing 65-yard, 45-yard touchdown types, it should help wear the clock down a little bit quicker, limiting possessions by one or two compared to a quick game. All right, there you guys have it. Uh, no uh, no wins for Florida State on our predictions, but progress. We're seeing them competing with uh, with top five teams now, which didn't happen a whole lot the last couple of years. So that's that's where we're at right now. We're taking these baby incremental steps, and we're living with it. All right, for Chris Nee, for Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. We'll talk to you guys, well, right after the game, like at midnight on Saturday. J-Trap, 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 J-Trap.